and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Welcome to another episode of the Remnant Call. I'm your host, Brother Frank, and glad to have you here with me. And just want to say thank you to everybody that listens into the Remnant Call. Um, I appreciate that you care, pray, and um, that means something to this show. And and right now, I just want to really encourage you guys to continue to pray for Brother Benjamin. You know, you don't get to go on the front lines without suffering severe attack. And Brother Benjamin... Um, gets a lot of attacks from the enemy. And, and folks, when you step into this thing called being a believer, you open yourself up to the fiery darts. The good thing is that the Lord then in return coats us in the armor of God so we can stand against it. And remember when you feel like you can't handle it anymore, that he said he would never give you more than you can handle. And you can bank on that and stand on it. And so as we suffer at times together and we rejoice at times together, uh, folks, remember in the darkest hours we grow the most. It's always been like that and it will continue to be like that. In a world that tries to give us so much to, to keep us at ease, it's in those hard times when we cry out desperately for God that we find that growth and really realize who we are in Yeshua. And it's important. Let's open with prayer because tonight's program, folks, we're going to get into some fun and some exciting and some really meaningful stuff. Father, in the name above every name, Yeshua Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the blessings on this show. We thank you for everything that you have done, Lord. We ask that you would bless uh, tonight's program to your honor and your glory, Lord, that we may understand your word better and that we would grow to know you better. We ask it in the name above every name, Yeshua. Amen. Well, God bless you. We are going to talk tonight about a very important topic, the mark of Cain. You know, I wanted to kind of just starting here. I don't know if you've ever seen, many of you have seen a mosaic. You may, most of you probably know what a mosaic is. But a lot of times a, a mosaic, if, if you look at it, individual pieces, it, it looks like nothing. But when you put all the pieces together, it forms a wonderful picture. And I've seen very many different ones. They're made from glass or stone or other materials, and just seeing the individual pieces normally don't, don't make up much. And see, when you look at a mosaic, it kind of is how we picture God. We form a mosaic of who God is, and when we, when we have built this mosaic of who God is, then we end up trying to fit God into the mosaic that we have formed. See, most of us, we learned this mosaic by when we were growing up or what we were taught about God, or, or some maybe learned it later in life. But when we have allowed other people to build the mosaic by what they have taught us, we now read the Bible in a completely uh, skewed view of who God is, because everything must fit into that mosaic. I was raised a certain way. I was raised to believe a certain way. When I gave my life to the Lord, I remember calling my dad one day and say, Dad, I read this scripture, 
what do we do with it? And my father literally said, son, I do not know. Because it threw a monkey wrench in everything we had been taught growing up. And when I read that that day, I realized I needed to test the things that I had been taught to make sure they actually line up with the Word of God. Unfortunately, this mosaic that most believers follow, they end up really tainting and often limit you to what you can learn about God. When your mind is completely just trapped on what you think and the Word of God has something that you don't understand, we tend to just pass over it and not try to learn what it actually says. Where am I going with this? Well, here's, the, here's what I'm trying to get to. Over the past few years, now I've been converted now since my life of drugs and everything when the Lord saved my life and my family in one day. It was in March. It was 20 years exactly ago that the Lord did this. That I have now, for the last three or four years, maybe two to three even more, I am beginning to relearn the Word of God again. Not that I, the foundations, the principles that I don't always know are true. Uh, you know, I, that's not what I'm talking about. But I have begun to allow the Word of God to create this mosaic of who God is instead of allowing people and man to create the mosaic of who God is. This way I am no longer limited in my learning, but by the Spirit of the living God, I will discern by His grace and what He gives me to understand what the Word of God actually says, because I don't have a preconceived notion that limits me to what I can understand. Now, at times I run into those preconceived notions, and I have to hit a wall when I'm reading the scripture, but if you pray and are willing to be taught by the Lord. See, you can, you can read the Bible one of two ways. You can either read to prove, or you can read to learn. Because if you read to learn while you're trying to even prove, your mind can be changed when the Word of God can show you a different way. But if all you want to do is prove your point, you'll not learn. And I'm realizing this whole thing and how to do it, and I'm telling you, I'm 45 years old now, folks, and it's like rereading the Bible all over again. The interesting thing is, is unfortunately, the majority of the believers out there do not think this way anymore. Anyways, I want to look at something important. This is the mark of Cain. It's been something talked about for a long time. It's mysterious. People don't know. But you might be surprised what is actually said about it in the very Word of God. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at some ancient writings and some things that were said about it and see if we can understand what this thing is all about. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles, to Genesis chapter 4. And I'm going to read some scriptures, so stick with me here because we've got to set some context, some background to understand what's going on. If we're going to understand what this mark of Cain is all about. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 18 says this, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Do you understand that? This came from the Lord. So the idea of this Cain coming from Satan, throw that please out and stop that silliness. The devil was not the father of Cain physically. He may be spiritually the father when you turn his life over, but he's not physical, and that's just heresy and crazy stuff that people promote on the Internet. And if you don't like it, then just go listen to another show. And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, and Abel he also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. 
And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. So here we've got an issue that's going on. We've got Cain, who is upset because the Lord is not accepting his sacrifice, and he is accepting Abel's. And he's mad about this, and he doesn't like it. And so now he's going to take this to his brother. And in the process of time, because his brother wants to follow the Lord God's way, Cain ends up slaying his brother. And in verse 10 it says, and he said, in verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is the Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth, and received thy brother's blood from her hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto her strength. A fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, thou hast driven me out this day from the face of the earth, and from the face shall I be hid. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And it shall come to pass that every one that findeth me shall slay me. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch and built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. So here we have God coming to Cain, asking, where is thy brother? Now, the interesting response back, the first thing, what does he say? Am I my brother's keeper? You know how often I find that people that are believers that are in the so-called remnant don't care anything about their fellow man. They don't care anything about their brothers. They don't care anything about anyone else. If you don't believe me, go into church and listen to everybody gossip and complain about everybody else. You know why? Because they don't believe that they need to care for their own family and church's souls. And folks, if you are a believer in Yeshua, we are family together, one new man in Yeshua. And that means we take care of one another. And so here, you know, he's asking, where's he at? You know, he's, I'm not my brother's keeper. And the Lord says, hey, wait a second. His blood is crying out from the ground. You know, when they kill these babies, you know, their blood cries out from the ground. The Lord hears the blood of the innocent. It must be very loud in his ears. I could only imagine if we could hear those same cries that the Lord could hear. It must be something that just tears his heart apart. So we look at it. Of course, God ends up putting a mark upon Cain because he says, I cannot bear this punishment. He said, you know, what I've done, it's too much. He said, if anybody finds me, they're going to kill me. And so the Lord puts a mark on him. So what is the mark of Cain? Well, it's very interesting, the mark of Cain. It's of something that is, through history, all over the place. The interesting thing is the Hebrew word for mark is oath, and it could mean simply just a sign or an omen or a warning or remembrance. Some have speculated that the mark was a Hebrew letter on either the face or the arm, but truthfully, we don't know. But it's interesting all of the things that people say the mark of Cain actually is. In ancient Judaism, uh, Abba Arika said that God gave Cain a dog making him an example to murderers. So one ancient rabbi said, no, you know what the mark of Cain is? Well, it's a dog 
that God gave to him, and that's the mark of Cain. Uh, Jose ben Hanan said that God made a horn grow out of Cain's head, and that was the mark of Cain. Uh, Rabbi Rashi uh, comments uh, the Genesis 4.15 and saying that the mark is one of the Hebrew letters of the Tetragrammaton, meaning one of the four letters makes up the name of God, that that was what was the mark of Cain and God had put it on his forehead. In the Kabbalah and the Zohar, it states that the mark of Cain was one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew uh, Torah and doesn't specify which one. So we see that it's all over the place. You know, I, I don't think it was a dog. I don't believe it was a horn that grew out of his head either. But people come up with crazier things. Interesting thing is when you actually get into modern-day American Protestantism, at some point after the slave trade started in the United States, many Protestant denominations began to teach the belief that the mark of Cain was actually dark skin. So if you were black and you were a slave, you had the mark of Cain. Therefore, slavery was okay because you were of the descendants of Cain, and therefore that was okay. In the Syriac Christianity, this is some of the early church um, there, that they actually believed that the mark of Cain was actually associated with black skin, although it was not in a racial sense, like in modern day, some of the Protestantism that we had here in America, but it was more in the sense that um, God had at one point, he and the Armenians had said that he had actually uh, beat Cain's face with hail so bad that it had blackened like coal, and that he had a black face, and that was the mark of Cain. The problem with all these things are, and go, if you go on the YouTube, you can just find everything out there in the world. This is all completely unbiblical speculation, because the Bible does not exactly tell us what the physical mark of Cain was, but it does actually tell us what it became. And we're going to talk about that later. That's the interesting thing about it. It doesn't say in the Bible what the physical mark was, but it does say what the mark became. And we're going to find out from the very Word of God. Well, so interesting thing is, though, is the mark of Cain, even though it's so talked about, often we don't talk about what is the curse of Cain. Because as we read earlier, the curse of Cain was something actually different. It's in um, Genesis chapter 4 and verse 11 and 12. Let me reread it again. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive her brother's blood from thy land. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto her strength a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. So the first part of the curse was that the ground that Cain so dearly loved, he loved to get his fruit that he could bring his own sacrifices from, it was no longer going to be giving up fruit in its strength, meaning he was going to have to work for that. But this twofold curse that was on there went also a little bit farther. It said, though, also that the curse was that Cain was going to be a vagabond wandering around from place to place. Actually, when you read where he went, it said the, to the land of Nod. If you look up what Nod actually means in the original language, it actually means a vagrant. It's a state of wandering, vagabond or vagrancy. And so there's no settled home. There's no, there's no place to call. Now, we know that he later built the, land, built the uh, city of Enoch. You know, he named after his son, but we don't know for fact that he actually lived there uh, for, for his whole life. The Bible did say that he was going to be a vagabond. He was cursed to wonder. Then to top it all off after this, wondering what was the mark, we get wopsided with this crazy idea, well, most people say, okay, I understand, Brother Frank, I don't know what the mark is, but then how did Cain get his wife? Because that's where more of these crazy ideas continue to come from. 
You know, we don't, the mark of Cain, it said, well, you're black, you have the mark of Cain. Well, the same thing about his wife. We get other crazy things. Where did Cain get his wife from? We get some people say, well, she's part of the pre-Adamite uh, people that were here before creation. Folks, these are just other excuses to get you to believe in evolution, okay? Um, she was a part of the co-creation, some say, where God also created other people at the same time. Uh, and then it just goes downhill from there. You know, the interesting thing in the Bible, the Bible settles this question once and for all. There was not a pre-Adamite uh, people living on the earth at the same time, or there was not a co-creation at the same time that uh, God created them. Because it says something very simple in Genesis 3.20. And Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. God is very clear that all people started from Adam and Eve, Period. Period. It's so much more comforting to believe in what the actual Word of God says versus anything else. So where did she come from? Well, we know one thing. She had to come from Eve because she was the mother of all living. Where does she come from? Well, most people think, well, if she didn't come from all that, maybe it was her sister. But it troubles them because of all the evolutionary talk we have today and all these things. We can't quite understand how this could happen because we read the Bible, and in just a few chapters, Genesis and Adam and Eve, the story is all over. So how in the world could he have had it? Could it be his own sister? Well, Genesis 5, 4, it says, In the days of Adam, after he begot Seth, were 800 years, and he begat sons and daughters. See that? Sons and daughters. The Bible actually doesn't say how many sons and daughters they actually had. If you read from Josephus, praise God, was able to fill in a lot of the things that happened between the Old and New Testament. Uh, the historian, he said a number, the number of Adam's children uh, says the old tradition was 33 sons and 23 daughters, so they had over 50 children. That's what they believed when Christ was alive, that he had all those. But let's look at some other things. There is an ancient book, which is a powerful book, and I, you know it's interesting um, – you know, when you look at other writings, and folks, I, listen, don't ever let anything form your doctrine outside of the Bible. But when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it, they found a book called the Book of Jubilees, and there's a lot of different arguments and different things about it. But the interesting thing about Jubilees was the people at Qumran believed that that scroll was just as holy as the Torah. It was the sixth most copied scroll found in Qumran. The people who lived in Qumran had their own commentaries and references, the Book of Jubilees, also known as the Book of Divisions, on the same level as they did the Torah. This book is also known as the Smaller Genesis. I'm not saying it's scripture, folks. Don't, don't take that out of context. But I'm trying to tell you it was highly prized by the early church fathers, also besides those in Qumran. Epiphanaris, Justin Martyr, Origen, uh, and several others all prized this book. And yes, if you look at the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, they kept it in their canon. They've had a copy of the book forever. It wasn't until the Dead Sea Scrolls came, we found those, that we actually got a little more interest in it. But I want to read you something that it says about this in the Book of Jubilees. And this is what it says. And in the third week, in the second Jubilee, she gave birth to Cain. We're talking about Eve, obviously. Roughly, this was 65 to 71 years since creation. In the fourth, she gave birth to Abel, 72 to 78, somewhere around there years uh, since creation. In the fifth, now we're talking, she's talking about, the, the Jubilees is talking about the Jubilee cycle, which would be 49 years, and on the 50th year was the Jubilee. So we're talking about one Jubilee is also made up of seven weeks of Jubilee years. 
So we're talking about different jubilees and weeks within the jubilee years. So if you looked at the beginning, it said in the third week in the second jubilee. That's where it started out. So the first jubilee, 50 years. Second jubilee, 51 to 100. Got where I'm going with that? All right. So that's where I'm getting these years from. I just calculated it out. So she gave birth to Cain, according to jubilees, roughly between 65 to 71 uh, years from creation. That would be somewhere in that, in that week. And then the fourth week, we said Abel, 72 to 78 years. And in the fifth, she gave birth to a daughter, Awan, 79 to 85 years uh, from creation. In the first year of the third jubilee, Cain slew Abel because God accepted the sacrifice of Abel and did not accept the offering of Cain. And he slew him in the field, and his blood cried from the ground to heaven. Complaining because he had he had slain him, the Lord reproved Cain because of Abel, because he had slain him. Now, this is still from the Jubilees, and he made him a fugitive in the earth because of the blood of his brother, and he cursed him upon the earth. And of the, on this account, it is written in the heavenly tables, Cursed is he who smites his brother treacherously, and let all who have seen and heard say it be so. And the man who has seen and not declared, let him be accursed as the others, and for this reason we announce when we come before the Lord our God all the sin which is committed in heaven and on earth, and the light in darkness and everywhere, and Adam and his wife mourned for Abel four weeks of years. That's a long time, four weeks of years. You know, that would be seven times four. And in the fourth year of the fifth week, okay, they became joyful, and Adam knew his wife again, and she bare him a son and called his name Seth. And he said, God has raised up a second seed unto us on the earth instead of Abel, and Cain slew him. And in the sixth uh, week, he begat his daughter Azura, and Cain took Awan, his sister, to be his wife, and she bare him Enoch at the close of the fourth Jubilee. So what they're saying is at the close of the fourth Jubilee, we'd be right just under 200 years uh, is when this all took place. And, there's, you know, it just very simply, folks, we don't understand the amount of time it took from the time that the Bible first starts till all this happened. You got to remember, Adam lived over 900 years. So give it some time, and we can see that it all works out well. There is a formula out there you can see for how fast the earth can be populated, how fast populations can double and triple. When people are being fruitful and multiply, you can literally uh, populate an area in no time. If you're having 50-some kids and their kids have 50-some kids and you know what I mean, and, and you keep going on, in no time you actually within a few generations have a plethora of people. So here we just, I wanted to give you another source and reference uh, for that work during the time of Christ with, with uh, Josephus here and the Jubilees, which the Jubilees is, you know, we, we know that the book is a couple hundred years B.C., but it could be very well a copy of a much older book. It only has revelation so far, I think roughly up to around the crossing of the River Jordan, and that's it. And so... Um, we see also, and it's many, believed by many, it's not proven that John the Baptist was also a member of the Qumran uh, community. So it's just interesting stuff. You see, though, the mark of Cain is always the thing that people remember so much when they read this uh, or think about the story of Cain and Abel. But I want to take a few minutes to look at what led to Cain receiving his mark, because we're going to find out at the end what the actual mark uh, became. And I think it's important that we know that. But I want to focus on what led up to the actual mark. Genesis 4, uh, 1 through 18, we read it before. 
And we saw here where Cain, he came and, and uh, he wanted to, God to accept his sacrifice, okay? He wanted him to accept that, you know, what he had done was the right thing, that his sacrifice was good. When Abel did, obviously, what the Lord required by bringing an animal, but Cain wanted to bring his own fruit of his own labor. See, Cain, a man who knew who God was, right? He wasn't ignorant. He'd been taught who the Lord was. He's not far away from creation. He knows the truth, but instead of bringing a sacrifice that God desired, he believed that the works of his own hands were greater than that which the Lord desired. You see, I believe that Cain is a picture of the end times false church. When you look at the book of Genesis, and when you look at the book of Revelation, you realize they are absolute perfect bookends. See, the beginning of the book of Genesis ends up just like the end of Revelation. We start in paradise, and we're going to end in paradise. The same things, though, that happened right after the fall are the same things that are going to happen again right before the Lord returns. So here, Cain is angry, first of all, because he believes his ideas of worship are superior to God's, and that God should accept his way because it doesn't matter if you follow what God says as long as you do what makes you feel good. And what made Cain feel good was that the works of his own hands were better than that which God desired. Unfortunately, what happens, though, when you do this, this is what permeates to people that are around you. And you look in the churches today and all over society. This form of church that's out there that says, don't judge, don't, we accept everything. If, you, if you're in love with it, put a ring on it. You know, we are living in an age where truth doesn't matter anymore, only feelings, and as long as you feel it, then it's okay. And I'm going to worship God my way. And unfortunately, this even happens in the midst of the remnant and those who call themselves uh, believers. What happens to people that feel like this, it fills their hearts with hatred against those who actually want to follow the Lord his way. You see, look at the anger in politics today in the world. Look at the anger in, against the church. Do you know that the, Christianity is the most persecuted religion, period, in the world today, yet gets very little notice about it? I just saw a huge article the other day about it, how it, they are, Christians are persecuted terribly, yet we don't get any press about it. But they say to us, hey, we're not relevant. We're not accepting. We're just a bunch of homophobic, anti-abortionist, misogynist haters who don't love gay people. We just hate everything. You know, they label us with this, uh, their own little mark they put on there. And so why is this, though? Because they believe that the power of the blood of Jesus is not good enough to cover their sins. Therefore, they make up an excuse in order to continue in. But see, because we believe that Christ can save the worst of sinners, is it because we believe Jesus accepts us how we are? We know that Jesus accepts us how we are, but beloved, he loves us too much to ever leave us that way. See, Jesus showed his love and mercy with the woman caught in the act of adultery. But after he showed her forgiveness, he said to her, go and sin no more. He said, neither do I condemn you, he told the woman. It's been forgiven. But let me tell you something right now. Don't go out there and continue in the things that you've been doing. It's not okay. God never promotes living in sin. He is a forgiver. He's a deliverer. But he never promotes and excuses living in it. But if we don't need to change, which means to believe today God has to love me how I want, then what is the cross, what is the sacrifice of Jesus all about? Did he pay the price for sin, or did he pay the price so that we can live however we feel? See, this is the mindset that leads to the mark of Cain. 
It makes people hate the true followers of God. So God cast them out to wonder in the land of Nod to be vagabonds, just like he did Cain. But they keep setting up churches today. They call them the houses of the Lord. And the Bible actually says that they are homeless. They're wandering around, calling it church. Truth is, they are homeless and have no idea who the Lord is. And they continue to call it church. They say it's being relevant. But God calls it blind, poor, and naked. You see, the good news is, though, is that God never gives up. You see, when you look at the mark of Cain closely, even though we don't know what the actual mark physically was, we know what it became. See, the mark of Cain, when you look at it closely, you know what it was? It was actually mercy. You see, Cain, in all his messed up theology, even though he was a murderer, even though he hated the people of God, the Lord put a mark upon him to keep him safe. You see, God was still reaching out to Cain. He was a sinner. He deserved death, but the Lord in his mercy kept him safe. It's the same picture in the Laodicean church. See, the Laodicean church thought that they had it all together. They believed that they were all good to go. But when you read what God says in Revelation chapter 3, he says this, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, that thou shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see as many as I love, I rebuke and chase. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So here's a bunch of people calling themselves believers, thinking that everything is okay. They don't have need of anything out there, because their way is the right way. And God says, you are blind and poor and naked. And he says, you need to buy from me gold tried in the fire. See, God is angry at them because they're neither, they're neither uh, cold nor hot, but they're lukewarm. They can't make a decision. They sit there on the fence. They can't make a decision for the Lord, and he's frustrated and he's angry because they take the name of the Lord, but they take it in vain because they do not do the things that the Lord asks, and they give a bad representation to who the Lord actually is. But out of all this anger, that he is angry with the church of Laodicea, though they don't have a need for the Lord, they think everything's okay, he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, and I will sup with him, and he with me. You see, the Lord wasn't willing to give up. The church in Laodicea is a modern picture of what's going on today. And in all their filthiness and disgustingness and homelessness and blind and poor and naked and everything that they're doing and calling and saying out there that's wrong, God's saying, you know what? I'm still knocking at the door. You see, unfortunately, some of us have gotten caught in that trap, caught in that mix-up, caught in that problem of thinking that everything's okay, and we're doing it on our own, and Lord, we got it, and we'll take care of it. And the Lord is like, man, you are completely, woman, you are completely lost. And he's saying, you know what, though? I'm not going to give up. You might think that you're not a murderer, but have you murdered your brother or sister in your heart? Have you slandered him? Maybe you've killed them with your thoughts or your words. According to the New Testament, you don't have to do the physical act to be guilty of murder. Jesus refused to give up on the church of Laodicea. 
And he hadn't actually given up on Cain either. Because the mark of Cain was mercy to an undeserver to keep him safe. You see, today Jesus is knocking in the doors wanting to come in. He wants to sit down and have a meal with you. He wants to have a personal relationship even with those who have completely fallen off the path. And we see this picture repeated in the book of Luke in chapter 15, 4 through 7. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after them which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, it layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he called together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. You see, folks, God's actually talking about those in the fold, those in the flock, those that call themselves believers that have gone astray. Jesus says it doesn't matter. I don't care what's gone on, how far they've been lost, when that sheep cries, when that believer cries out, I'm coming running. And when I get them, I'm going to pick them up and carry them home on my shoulders. So my question is to you, dear believer, where are you at today? Where's your walk with Jesus? When you come and you see people or you talk to people and they ask you how you're doing, you say, everything's fine when truthfully everything's falling apart. It doesn't matter what society, what has branded you, what mark they put on you. There's a heaviness and confusion and a condemnation that comes in this world and God is calling us out of it, home to Him today. It's time for us to return back to the Lord. If God was willing to protect Cain, if God was willing to forgive Manasseh, if God was even willing at one point to forgive Ahab, they still turned away. Even Manasseh, the worst, the, uh, the worst of them all, he was willing to forgive when they saw that they were humbled, even though they made their own choice to continue to turn from the Lord. Folks, what do you think God can do with you who has never even lived up close to the amount of evil that Ahab and Manasseh did? And even though Ahab may have chosen later to turn from the Lord, he was, the Lord was willing to forgive just like he was willing to forgive Manasseh, just like he was protecting Cain in the days even when Cain deserved death. Folks, each one of us deserved death. There's not a one of us that deserved to live. But God in His mercy is still reaching out. If you've been under the condemnation that God doesn't love you anymore, reject that. That's about as true as that black people were the mark of Cain in justifying slavery. The truth is that your God is beating on the door. And maybe you've put a dampener on it. Maybe you don't want to hear it. But if you will listen closely, the knock is still there. And he wants to come in. And he wants to sit down with you. The mark of Cain was actually a very merciful thing to a man who deserved judgment. God is trying to get our attention. And even though you may have broken some promises, you may have messed up, you may have done some things that you're not proud of, you may have been struggling with a secret sin for years, you may have been fighting it back and forth, you don't know if the Lord, the Lord is not giving up on you, brother and sister. He's still reaching out. God is in the business of deliverance. Won't you call out on him won't you call out on him today? This is Brother Frank from the Remnant Call saying to everybody, good night.
and shalom.